It's the Sean Pittman Show. Together we can change the world. Make a better future for our boys and girls. The Sean Pittman Show. Providing information that we need to know. Giving us the power that we need to stand. Positioning ourselves and lend a helping hand. So let's go. Let's go. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hope everybody had a great, great week. A uh, lot of news this week. Lots of news. Uh, if you're following uh, anything going on in the Trump world, uh, these court cases, uh, I think there was one uh, last week where he had to another you know, verdict where he's got to pay like $350 million to somebody. I'm like, wow. And uh, there was one article that said that this may clean him out of his cash. So I don't know, but, you know, it makes you want to pay attention. And then, of course, if you're watching what's going on in Georgia, also related to Trump, but uh, if you're watch the, watching the district attorney and and all of that with the uh, with uh, the distraction from the Trump case, but she made some headlines herself uh, as it relates to her testimony. You know, they're trying to say that she hired a guy that she ended up dating who was taking her on trips, and so they're trying to say she benefited from that, and they want to disqualify them to help the Trump case. Uh, it's a little more technical than that, but I'm going to keep it at that 50,000-foot level because uh, uh, you've probably been watching it also. But y'all, I'm excited, excited about this show. Uh, y'all been asking about Scotty Barnhart because he was on the show before, and you probably watched him win another Grammy uh, a couple weeks ago, and he did, and we're so proud of him uh, because he's right here in Tallahassee. He's one of ours. He's right here uh, in Tallahassee, and we enjoy him. Um, like I said, he won a Grammy Award for Best Large Band. Uh, he's with the Count Basie Orchestra. He's the director, y'all. He's an American jazz trumpeter. And he's also, y'all, the associate professor at Florida State University. And he teaches jazz trumpet. But more than that, y'all, uh, he, he's a superstar. I can't wait to talk to him about the people that he's worked with because that's probably one of the most favorite things about him is, is if you can touch him, you might be touching uh, anybody in our history <laughs> when it relates to being on top of the musical industry. And that's why we love him. But uh, he's on the show and he's on the line. Scotty, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. <laughs> how you doing, Sean? I'm great, man. I'm great now that I'm on, on with you. Yeah. Uh, I Listen, oh, I just man, have my to... Pleasure, man. man, thank you so much. I, I have to start with the million-dollar mm-hmm. question, though. What was going mm-hmm. through your head at the Grammys when your orchestra was announced... <laughs> The winner. <laughs> you got to tell me. You got to kind of take us there, man. Well, I'll tell you. I tell you the honest truth, man. I was just telling somebody this a little while ago, but my uh, my sweetheart, my you know fiance Yvette, was sitting next to me, and right when they, you know, we were fine, and we were watching the other uh, categories and the winners and things like that. We were sitting back there, kind of just waiting for our turn, and I'm totally cool. I'm just waiting because I've been, been there before. That was right. my third time being That's at right. the Grammys. That's right. In the last few years, you know. And uh, so anyway, we was sitting there. And right when uh, they announced the categories, I started to kind of feel a little anxious, you know. And then right before Patty opened up that envelope, 
I swear to God, I turned and said, I don't want to be here. My nerves were racked, man. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. I did, I was a nervous. I did not want to be there. Wow. Because it just it's just the most nerve-wracking thing because you don't know if you're going to win. You want to. But my, my mind was thinking, oh, man, what if I don't? I'm going to be out here in L.A. We spend all this money, but whatever. You know, I just... So I wasn't, I was, that's really what, really what I was thinking. And in the middle of that, that's when I heard my name. Wow. I said, did you just say my name? And everybody around me was, <laughs> you know, clapping and hollering, like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So and I had told her and everybody with me, I said, if we win, I'm taking everybody on the stage, everybody. Wow. Including uh, Mr. Sam Beeler, who's, you know, been, uh, his foundation has funded everything. So it was seven or eight of us, and we made our way down there. And uh, But after I was down there and up on the stage, I just had to thank Mr. Basie. That was the main thing. I had to let people know that this guy began his orchestra 89 years ago, and we're still on the road. Still on you the know, road. 66 years later, he's still winning Grammys, man. Wow. That's incredible. That is, man. So it, was, it was more about him. Yeah. And uh, so it was, but, but, you know, and from a practical standpoint, yeah, I was, I was a nervous wreck for about 10 seconds. After that, I was cool. Wow. And the category, <laughs> right? I mean, what, what would you say about mm. the other musicians in the category? Oh, they were all all great, man. The Mingus Big Band, uh, Chick Corea, um, and the other, I forget who the others were, but everybody in that category, anybody could win. You know, that's just it. So you don't really know. But I kind of did know that we had something special, and I knew we had something that no one had ever done before, and I knew that we had the, the level of superstar talent from George Benson to Buddy Guy to Kev Moda, Robert Craig to others, man. I, I knew nobody else had those people on their album. And we were doing something in a collaborative way that had not ever been done before. So I really did feel that we had an edge. And wow. uh, it turns out we did. Yeah. You know? yeah. Mm -hmm. So so Basie Swings the Blues is the album that won the Grammy mm -hmm. Award. Talk to us about mm -hmm. the inspiration mm -hmm. behind creating the music. Well, in 2019, uh, Mr. Basie was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame up in Memphis, Tennessee by the Blues Foundation. So... As director, I had to go there and uh, accept the award and give a little speech on his behalf, you know, things like that. And they had a great, they did a great presentation. And but while I was there, it was also the time that the Blues Awards were going on. The Blues Awards are like the Grammys, but it's just for all blues. They have their own awards for every year. So they, the lady who was running it came to me and asked me if I would mind if I wouldn't mind being a presenter. I hadn't been I hadn't planned on that. They hadn't asked me that, but somebody didn't show up or something. So they were short a presenter, and they said, all you got to do is. Go on stage, read the teleprompter, and when they come up, give them the award. I said, okay, I could do that, no problem. So I did that for four or five awards, and then I went back to my seat, and this is when it happened. I sat down. I was sitting next to uh, Bobby Rush, you know, the great Bobby Rush, who's like almost 90 now, I think, blues legend. I was sitting next to him. Okay. He was on my right and to my left. I think it was uh, Muddy Waters' son, I think. And, I was just, and it just dawned on me that I was in the midst of all of these great blues musicians, and the idea simply popped in my mind. We need to record with them. We, wow. This is what wow. our next record needs to be because it, it had never been done before. Yeah, I thought for yeah. sure Quin Quincy would have done it. Like Quincy, don't, Quincy didn't even do it. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. Nobody's done this. Like taking the <laughs> Basie Orchestra or the Ellington Orchestra, Orchestra and put them with the top blues people of the day. I, I, I'm still stunned at that. I'm still shocked. That's that but that's, but that's the creativity, right? I mean, that's the genius in it all, right? Mm -hmm. Seems like it's right in front yeah, of you. Yeah. And somebody else should have done it. Like yeah. it's like I get in an Uber exactly. from time to time, and I'm like, why didn't mm -hmm. I think of getting a ride exactly, from somebody? Man. Exactly, <laughs> right? Exactly right. Exactly right. Man. So, but exactly that's right, man. But that's so, the brilliance, man. And you, you had the, you had yeah. it. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I just you know, then, then it was just a matter of planning things and trying to figure out how to make it all work. But 
you know, about what, four years later, 2019, I think we recorded in 2023. So, yeah, four years, three or three, four years later, everything was there. We recorded everything, everybody that I wanted to get on it. Uh, they all said yes right away. And as a matter of fact, I was telling somebody just yesterday, George Benson, in the middle of while I was still planning everything, he actually called me and said, hey, man, are we still doing this recording, man? Are we still? I'm like, damn, George Benson is calling me? What? And so he was so happy to do it that, you know, it was just, it was a thrill for me to, talk with him and Buddy Guy and all these people, Bobby Rushman, and, and put something together that'll stand the test of time. It sounds good. It makes you want to dance. But it's uh, but from an intellectual standpoint, it's also deep as well. Wow. And uh, we just had a good time doing it, man. And I'm just thankful that the Academy and the people that voted for us thought it was the best this year. Well, man, we're so proud of it and proud of you. Let's talk about mm-hmm. Count Basie Thank a little you, bit, though. You know, Someone mm-hmm. said to me that he was the first African American male to win a Grammy in 1958. Right. African American, period. Period. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I yeah. I didn't know that, and I don't. I don't. I think we miss sometimes some mm-hmm. of these things that, as you know, he's mm-hmm. been doing it a long time. So you kind yeah. of, but that's mm-hmm. that's significant. The first African American period yeah. to win a Grammy in 1958. That's right. That's that's right. That's and insane. Won, and the orchestra. That's right. And the orchestra has won more Grammys than any other big band. So I think the Grammys that have Count Basie's name on them, I think it's, I think it's 20 now. It's 19 or 20. And that's more than any other orchestra, orchestra leader. So for this guy to put his orchestra together the way he did, run it the way he did. I just, like I said, I just did a lecture this morning here in Minneapolis. And I was explaining to these educators the same thing about how he um, really led people. But he was a nice guy doing it. He wasn't a tyrant. And therefore, people wanted to play for him. They wanted to keep his orchestra going. They wanted to still play his music. And, they, and that's why we're still around. Yeah. So he's really a phenomenon, man. We, he, Absolutely. He, he passed away exactly 40 years ago. That's he's a, really a phenomenon. So I look at it amazing. as an institution. The orchestra is really an institution. So, but thinking of that. at the helm right now. But, but thinking of that <clears> institution, I mean, you became the director in 2013. You're mm-hmm. at the helm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. really, what, what does it mean for you personally to carry on this legacy man look man it's the most humbling thing and greatest thing in the world i i feel like i win the lottery every day i wake up yeah i know that i'm the director even though that i'm in the orchestra number one that was a heck of a thing just to be asked to join it that right there alone just floored me and just you know just but to be directing man it's so you know only thing i can think of sean is that luckily for me i did all the right things as i was growing up and studying I had the right teachers from Lindsay Sargent, you know, to my high school band director, Gordon Borkin, who told me to go see Mr. Basie when I was in high school. And I just had all of the right people to tell me to do the right things. And once I started, you know, doing those things, the passion that I had just, it just got more and more intense. And it's still there, you know, still getting more. Even when I'm walking on stage today to play with the orchestra, man, the feeling that I have inside is such an intense feeling uh that i can't i can't really fully describe you have to kind of be there or be in my shoes to fully describe it but the best way to explain it is just it's just the most uh it's the greatest feeling in the world i can't really explain any other way and the fact that they they trust me with his legacy that to me that they trust me with it because they know i'm going to protect it and preserve it you know unlike anyone else and uh that's just what i what i love i just love to do that i love to do what i'm doing well, and you're doing it well. I mean, it, particularly when you you take something that was formed in 1935 and, mm-hmm. you know, we're not far. We're only 11 years from it being 100 years old. And, That's right. 
It'll be 90 next year. That's right. 90 next year. And we're still Mm -hmm. in a situation and a moment in time where the the, Mm -hmm. the genius of it all doesn't age. I mean, it's like wine, right? It just the genius Mm -hmm. of it all just continues to get better. And it, but but I, exactly I wonder right. about the, the when you're when you're making music based on his mm-hmm. legacy, right? Mm-hmm. How to how mm-hmm. is that is that a, a a tough load to carry? Uh, not necessarily, because as long as we have the right people, um, we're fine. And the thing is, when he before he even passed away, he knew he wanted his orchestra to continue. He wanted it to continue. He said, as long as the guys want to keep doing it, let them keep doing it. So there was never a problem as far as, you know, playing his music or playing his legacy. I mean, I, it's like the New York Philharmonic. I tell people all the time, the New York Philharmonic was founded in 1852 by a guy named Really Hill. And that orchestra still to this day, since 1852, is still at the top of its game, and it's still a major force in the world of music, in the world of classical music. Why is that? Well, to me, it's very simple. They hired the right person to lead it and they hire the right musicians to play, and they play the right music. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm hiring, having to make sure we got the right people. Uh, I think I'm the right guy for the job. I've always you know, believed I would be the right guy for the job someday, even before, long before it happened, and I'm playing the right music. And uh, so we're doing the same thing the New York Philharmonic has been doing, and uh, it just so happens that our orchestra has a very, very distinct, unlike any other orchestra in history, sound. There's a bassy sound that's very distinct. No, Ellington has it for his orchestra. Even Coltrane had it for his band. There's a sound. But when you can when you can say that you've had a sound for 89 years, that's mm. unmistakable that you put it on in two seconds, you know exactly who that is? Yeah. That's, that's genius, man. That, you know, it's that's genius look at, and it's special. Genius. And it's rare. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why Absolutely. I asked so if... I recognize that, it, you know. That's why I asked mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's a tough or heavy load to, to you know, to bear because... <laughs> I don't know if it does it if it locks you in in anything or if it's just the opposite, like what you did with you know the with the album that just won the the Grammy, right? I yeah. mean, you did something that yeah. hadn't been done, and so I, so mm-hmm. I just wonder if it if it if it locks you in or it frees you. It it, it, it frees me. It, it doesn't really lock us in. The only way a good analogy would be one foot in the past, one foot in the future. So we'll never, there's certain fundamentals that we'll, we will never abandon because as soon as we do, then it will cease to be the Count Basie Orchestra. Okay, okay. There's certain things that we have to do that we will always continue to do. A certain way that we play things, you know, a certain, uh, certain tempos on certain things, and just certain, a certain way that we play stuff, you know. So this is why when we get new music in, if somebody brings a new arrangement or somebody sends me, to, sends me one, or even, I, even if I write one myself, it has to be written a certain way, rhythmically and harmonically. So these are very distinct but identifiable things that any musician who really smart enough, they can figure out what they are. And so I figured it out early on. I knew it was something that made the Count Basie Orchestra sound and swing like the Count Basie Orchestra. It's something very specific. And I found out what those things were. Once I found out what they were, I knew, okay, as long as I know that, I'm never going to let those things leave this orchestra. I'll never, I'll, there's no way. Because as we do, they just won't be bassy anymore. Wow. So luckily, yeah. I know what those yeah. little things are, you know? And uh, so, no, it, it, so it frees me in a way, but at the same time, I know there are sort of, uh, there are some limitations I would, I would probably say there are certain things I just know we shouldn't play. 
You know, I know that somebody right now is trying to get us to do a recording and it has nothing. I can't even really describe it. it I don't know if it's going to work or not. So my only response to this person was, we just need to play how we play. If we can play how we play, you guys can do whatever you want to do on top of it. But we're not going to change how we play. We'll just play how we normally would play and see if it makes sense, you know, if it makes musical sense. But, uh, but basically, he was very direct, man. He was very, uh, just to give you an idea, he had the bass players set up on the stage so that, so that they could see his left hand. And if they were playing the bass lines in such a way that weren't in step with what he thought it needed to, needed to sound like, he would then play the bass lines for them in his left hand. Wow, okay. During the song. Yeah. yeah, he would actually start on the piano, and he would just you know sound like a bass player in his left hand to alert them to know, let them know, this is what I want. And genius. that was told directly to me from one of the, yeah. Genius. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, man, genius, man. So let me ask you this. We've been, and listeners, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to, you know, <laughs> Mr. Music himself. Uh, we're, t we're talking to Scotty <laughs> Bonhart. And uh, I want to ask you, though, I don't know if mm -hmm. you've seen what went down in Atlanta and in some other places where you've got, um, T.I. and some of these hip-hop artists that uh -huh. are performing uh -huh. uh, with orchestras in mm -hmm. the background. Have you mm -hmm. have you paid mm -hmm. any attention to that? Is I've heard I've, I've heard a little of that. I haven't actually heard the music, but I've I think I saw something on Facebook about it or something like that. But I haven't heard what they're doing. Okay, what are they doing? I wonder what they're doing. Okay, yeah. I mean, I just wondered it with your ear if you were listening to it and and mm -hmm. and, and if it if there's a if this way of merging works musically mm -hmm. or if it's just something that sounds good to people who 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 love hip hop right it's just something different and sure. fascinating i just wonder if, but for somebody academically uh you know yeah i'll like check that out yeah I, I thought i knew it happened but i haven't heard it so i haven't seen any clips I'll, all right so you got to do that before YouTube next time before we talk next time because yeah i, I, I want to hear what you think <laughs> I'll do that. um but you've been performing <laughs> yeah, you've been playing and performing music a long long time man tell me mm -hmm. do you have a favorite memory just from your entire musical career that that you would share with us yeah, yeah. and I know you I, have so many right I know you have a lot of them but I just wonder if there's one that 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 yeah. maybe maybe every something <laughs> reminds you of it that you that you cross every week or is there is hey, there man, one memory look, well, that you like that motivated yeah. me yeah I think the one I think the one that really made me realize that I had made the big time like this is this is a big time you know it was 1993, my first year in the orchestra, we were performing in Monaco, or Monte Carlo, you know, at the uh, the sporting club with Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett was our guest. He was with us, you know. Yeah. So usually in a show like that, you know, the band, Tony would sing numbers with us, with the band. But it will always be one or two where it would just be him and his piano so the band could rest. We could rest a minute. And whenever that would happen, they would turn their lights off of us and only have a spotlight on Tony. So the thing that was exciting about this gig, number one, is that in the front row was Sean Connery, you know, James Bond, the double Oh, yeah, yeah. It was all these, uh, Eric Braden, who plays on The Young and the Restless, the guy that plays Victor on The Young and the Restless. All of these big-time actors and movie stars that I'd, you know, known growing up, you've know, been watching growing up. So I'm seeing all these people, they're sitting there, it's all tuxedo and tails, it's so glamorous, it's unbelievable, man. So we're sitting there, and then Tony goes into this song with just him and his pianist. So they turn the lights down on us, you know. So we're sitting there kind of in the dark, just checking it out. And all of a sudden, I felt this huge breeze like somebody had turned the air conditioner on. I'm like, man, why would they turn the air on 
like this. Why, why, why they cut the hair? So I happened to look up, and man, unbeknownst to me and the rest of the guys in the orchestra, the entire roof had slid off the place, man. Whoa. <laughs> the roof was gone. Oh, come on. I'm looking up at stars, man. Didn't even hear the roof slide off. Wow. I said, what? Would, <laughs> I said, oh, my did y'all God. Keep, you did you keep me? playing? Did y'all keep playing? <laughs> yeah, Tony kept, he kept singing, man. But the fact that the roof is off, and it was a starry night, like in June, perfect. But I thought it was. I thought the air conditioning had been turned on. You know what I mean? Because of the breeze. Amazing. Yeah. And it was the breeze. It was the breeze off of the Mediterranean Sea. It wasn't an air condition. Wow. And I'm sitting there to myself thinking, this, this is. I'm getting paid for this. What? <laughs> this is man. So look. So that that was one of those situations where, and again, like you said, I've had a lot of them. You know, Sinatra and Quincy Jones and people like that. But that one, when I looked up and saw stars instead of the roof. Yeah, you know, that that will stick with you. That's that would that would stick with you. You know, when yeah, you when you first me, met Count Basie, sure. though, when you first I, saw him. What's I never your, met him. I, I mean, never, I never met him personally. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I saw him. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you first saw him, right, mm-hmm. and somebody told you to go see him, that you should go see him. Yeah, that's right. W- that's what right. did that moment do for you? Well, unbeknownst to me, man, it changed my life. I didn't know my you know my high school band director, uh, the late Gordon Boykin. Uh, simply walked up to me one day in the band room at Gordon High School. This is Decatur, Georgia, Atlanta, Decatur. Uh, he just walked up to me and said, look, man, Basie's in town. You're going to see him. He walked off. I was like, wow, okay. So I found out where they were playing. They were at, they were at uh, Druid Hills High School. And I simply went to the show, man. And when I walked in the gymnasium where they were playing, Dr. Edward Bowie, he used to be one of our assistant principals at Gordon at the time, also was a great trumpet player. He, when I walked in, he looked at me and said, wow, I see you have some class, young man. I didn't, you know, I yes, sir. <laughs> so I just walked down down to the front row and got a seat, man. And when they came out and started playing, it, I just remember this big wall of sound just flushing over me. Like if you like if you open an oven and you can feel the heat come out of it and go over your face, that's oh, yeah. what it felt like. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what it felt like. And I sat there for the whole entire thing, didn't move, man, didn't say a word. I was by myself, you know. And I just remember thinking, man, this is this sound is unbelievable. Then I saw him again two years later, I think it was, at the Fox Theater in Atlanta. Same thing. And uh, that was the time when I met the whole orchestra okay. after the concert, except for Mr. Bersley, yeah. Wow. And then it was that moment that I knew I'd be in the orchestra one day. I just knew. I didn't even worry about it. I didn't even you know, try to call anybody and ask for an audition, any of that. I just knew it was going to happen. There's certain things in my life I've, I've just known. Yeah. That was one of them. And the other one was the fact that I would be director one day. I just yeah. knew. Because I was going to say, when, you're, you're not just in it, you're directing it, and it, it seems like a yeah, like yeah. just a calling, right? Um, and yeah, I tell you, there's is. a lot it of is, yeah. the, there's a lot of things I like about you, right? I, and I got to tell you, I'm I'm impressed mm-hmm. in so many ways uh, as somebody who was an aspiring musician who just couldn't cut it. Oh. <laughs> but but thinking about <laughs> you and your success, right? But can I tell you what I like mm-hmm. the most about you? Can oh, I tell you? That, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell you anyway. I'm gonna tell you anyway. But but what I like the most about you is you could do what you're doing with the orchestra, with music, uh, on on a all over the world, all over the world. Mm-hmm. You could do that every day, mm-hmm. all day. Mm-hmm. But yet you are spending time with students at Florida State University. As an oh, associate yeah. professor, mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. I like the most about you, mm-hmm. that, that that you ain't grow outside your britches. 
<laughs> and, no, no, and, no, no, no. And what is it? Back, what is man. it? What does it yeah. mean to you, though, to to spend this time still influencing and teaching students? And by the way, most of them who who mm-hmm. want to do exactly what you're doing. Well, I've been very fortunate, man. The way I feel about that is really simple. I feel it's an I have an obligation to give what I've learned straight down to the next generation. It's really that simple because. The thing about jazz is that the elders in our music, you know, the elders like Clark Terry, the late Freddie Hubbard's, Nat Adderley, all these people I've been around, Sinatra, even Quincy Jones, man, Tony Bennett, all these people I've been around and learned from, they eagerly and enthusiastically told me things or gave me lessons or gave me advice or something or something musical or something about life. They enthusiastically did that. So I, I, I do the same, same thing with my students. When I learn something new or find out something on the road, when I'm on tour, on the road or whatever, as soon as I get with my next student, when that opportunity comes around for me to share this information with them, I can't wait to give it to them because I know it's going to change how they think and how they approach what they're doing. So, and if it, and I always tell them too, at some point, they're going to have students and either you're going to give them the right information or you're not going to give them the right information. What you want is to give them the right information. So I've gotten so much information, man, over the last 30, 40 years or whatever that I've, I have to give it to these students. I can't keep it all balled up inside of me. I have to give it to them, man. Wow. I, and that's, and that's, that's the joy of it because when I, when I tell them something, uh, I know it'll change what they're thinking. And the good thing is for me, people like Clark Terry, for example, Clark Terry passed away, I don't know, three or four years ago. He was 90-something. But before he passed away, he was, he was Clark is one of the most legendary jazz trumpeters in the world. As a matter of fact, he was Quincy Jones' teacher at one point. Okay. He's, okay. he's and uh, Quincy looked up him to like like yeah. a father, you know. Yeah. So whenever a student of mine at FSU would have a question about something that I could answer, but I knew Clark could answer even better, I would pick up the phone and call Clark right in my office, man, and put him on speakerphone. And this student, Clark, would give them a lesson privately, free for at least a half hour. Man, that student will never forget. And I just sit there and listen. <laughs> never forget. That's what that. I'm saying. Yeah. And, and Clark, he would be so enthusiastic about telling them because he know he knew just like I know, if you give them the right information, they'll eat it up. Their students they just they just can't wait to get it, man. So I have no trouble uh, doing that, and I love teaching. I mean, I, t- I have students all over the world now because of Zoom. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But F- at FSU, man, we have, well, yeah, I just I'm just giving back. That's what, what I, I love the most about you, man. And I want to and I want to say that loud and clear so people understand that. You're, oh, well, thank you, man. You're doing that because you have a gift, and you're not just keeping it to yourself. You're passing it on. No, oh, no. And hey, mm-hmm. I love that last piece, right? Because. I know, mm-hmm. as I, we talked about last time you were on the show, that the only way I'm gonna meet Barbara mm-hmm. Streisand is through you, one day, <laughs> somehow, <laughs> and I'm and I'm gonna hold you to that. I still don't have my picture, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, did you get? Oh, wait a minute, did, did I send you the picture yet? Yeah, no, you didn't send it to me yet. But listen, oh damn, you know what? As soon as we hang up, I'm sending it to you. Man. I'm sorry, I forgot, man. You gotta remind me, man. I, I know. Listen, it's not like it, listen, man. It's not like you have nothing else to do. But I know. I got when I meet her, it's going to be because of you. So I thank you in advance. Hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. Listen, thank you for coming on the show, man. You, uh, you're so special to us. And, um, and 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 I please pray, keep winning Grammys and keep coming back. <laughs> I work uh, on it. All right, but, but congratulations. <laughs> We're so proud of you, brother. Thank you.
All right. Thank we, you, man. I appreciate it. Thank ladies you, and gentlemen, <laughs> Mr. Music, Scotty Barnhart. Uh, we'll, we got what? We got a little short Pittman point right after this, so stay with us right after this. It's time for Pittman's Point on 96.1 Jams. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I hope everybody had a great Valentine's Day uh, last week. Uh, listen, I could feel the air. Uh, was just a little lighter leading up to the 14th, seeing so many people buying flowers, candies, teddy bears, and so much more. Uh, What I want to address, though, is the other 364 days of the year. Now, as adults, I get it. I I know we get busy, we get tired, and sometimes we allow the the other things in our lives to come before family and friends. That's what's been on my mind of late, hoping that we don't only show our love, y'all, for the people that we love, on February 14th, right? I know some of you are thinking, dang, he knows me. (laughs) Showing love doesn't have to be a grand gesture all the time, y'all. Sometimes just making the effort to do the small everyday things shows a person how deeply you care about them. Not only this, but sometimes the small task is just picking up the phone and letting the other person know that you're thinking about them. Now, I know we all uh, talk about Valentine's Day being uh, the, the win for uh, the retail and commercial folks. I get that, and I don't disagree with that. But you don't have to actually go out and spend your money. Again, sometimes just a small task, picking up the phone, letting somebody know that you're thinking about them. Let's not allow our love to be only felt on holidays in general. Let's not let our love only be given to some uh, and not all those that we truly care about. Let's find a way to carve out time to show that we love and appreciate the people in our lives. It's like when when Stevie Wonder sang the lyrics, I just called to say I love you. Y'all remember that song? Just like those lyrics, we don't always have to spend a lot of time and money. Those lyrics are enough. And maybe the best thing we can do when we really, really think about it is just pick up the phone, text or call someone in your life or all of them and let them know that they're important to you. This has been the Sean Pittman Show, and we'll see you in seven. This is the Sean Pittman Show on 96.1 Jams, Tallahassee's big station. We got this.